Aloha, everybody, and welcome to a special breaking news edition of the Jason Jones Show. And this is urgent. This is breaking news. Hawaii style. Hawaii style. Hawaii style. Tiana is with me. <laughs> Hello, everybody. From Left, the Left Show, which you all have to go on YouTube and subscribe to and like and share today. But this is this is the Hawaii style version of breaking news. What do I mean by that? <laughs> well, if it was breaking, it would have broke yesterday. We'd be talking about it yesterday. But the Island Breeze has to it's nice wash out over. Today. <laughs> wash it's a beautiful over day, right? And kind of got to collect our shells here and <laughs> figure out what we're going to talk about because it was such a crazy. Because we're day. talking about what happened yes twenty four hours ago. Yeah, but we're breaking. <laughs> And this isn't coming. This is coming out in another twenty-four hours. <laughs> so this is forty-eight hours after the State of the Union. So you know it's gonna be ripe. Yeah, it's fresh, it's Hawaii fresh. style, <laughs> like is. right on time. Now a lot of you didn't even listen to the State of the Union. You think a lot of our listeners? No. It's and you missed the best State of the Union ever. Yeah, I mean, I know there's listeners who love Jason from all around the world. So you're gonna get. The best, I guess, would you say? No, no this isn't the best show. I'm saying I, I the State of the <laughs> Union was one of the best. It was one of the best State of the Unions I can ever remember. Mm. And so you need to watch it. You need to go on YouTube. Yeah. After you listen to the, this episode, like it, write a nice review, and share it. Then you need to go watch the State of the Union with the insight that we give. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. I was saying that this is the best show if they didn't see it because we're going to break it down for them. We're going to break it down. Yeah. And tell them why, you're, why I wanted you here. By the way, I could have had a lot of people here. Yeah. I, I could have. Like, John Smirak wanted to do this. John Smirak. Yeah. I just think he's the best writer in America today. He's on Eric <laughs> Metaxas every day. But I wanted you. Why? Why do you think? Because I was a product of culture. I was on the other side. So everything that the president was saying. How long ago? Uh, less than seven months ago. Seven months ago. Seven months ago. So I can tell you what the other side. Well, I mean, not to the extreme that some people are taking it, but I can see what arguments that they make and try to justify it some way. Yeah, the reason why I wanted to have you on is because I watch your Left to Left show. I follow you on Instagram. You're insightful. You're funny. Oh. And you seem well-formed. Like, it's hard to believe that just seven months ago, or just a year ago, you were leading anti-Trump rallies. Yeah, exactly. It's really hard for me to understand that. And so I really, I want to ask you how you see it today and how you would have seen it a year ago. What accounted for the difference? You give me a lot of hope because you said you're a product of our culture. culture but you are. You right now are also a product of our culture. Yeah. So there's something true. beautiful in our culture that gave you the ability to correct yourself. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think it's happening today with all of the hypocrisy that's being shown in the Democratic Party. It's full-blown. And you talking about the State of the Union Address today, we're going to go over the multitude of things that are just, I don't think, normal or actually people who don't even listen to politics would agree with, with the stances that they're taking. So, Well, let's go back two years. So two yeah. years ago... Three years ago, three years ago, I was national coach, one of the national co-chairs for Cruz for President. Yes. When Trump won the nomination, I made a video saying I would never endorse Trump for president. 
and who I vote for is none of your business. <laughs> so that was my way of saying, I'm voting for Trump, leave me alone, but I'm not going to say it publicly because I don't like the guy. Yeah. And you were leading anti-Trump rallies just a year ago. So we're on the same team. We were, we were kind of on the same team where yeah. we found Trump distasteful. But mm-hmm. what I saw in the State of the Union yesterday, if you didn't know anything about Donald Trump, but what you saw in that speech yesterday, you did see as someone who was a uniter. Yes. Someone who didn't see people based on labels, yes. Republican or Democrat. Someone who was concerned about immigrants, legal and illegal. Yeah. If all, and, and I think we saw the real Donald Trump yesterday. You know what was a very sweeping realization that I had yesterday? Donald Trump has never, ever been into office, right? Yeah. And he is speaking to some of the worst, or I would say best because they've been there for so long, career politicians all in one room. And a guy who's doing this for the very first time and he's listing off all the things that he's done in his, what, two years? Two years. Two years. Well, CNN says he claims to have done. Claims. No, he claims no, yeah. to have done. He claims to be so, responsible for. Yeah, I mean, he's talking to a room full of people who've been trained to want to better our country. A guy who just sounds like, you know, an average Joe. And he's like, it, it should be a slap in the face. Like, come on, guys, if I can do it. And you guys have been sitting here. Are you guys even playing ball? Well, they are playing ball, though, aren't they? In their own, yeah, for themselves. For themselves. For themselves. And you see a man there who is struggling to unsuffocate America. A guy fresh off of the, you know, the pavement, I would say. Yeah, just what I got from it was, and I want to get to what he said about abortion, but I don't want to start there yeah. because that's all I'll talk about because it's all I think about. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's my passion. But, um, but, uh, he he talked about let's let's go over the issue. Well, what was most striking was you had a man who seemed honest and transparent, and you I think he believed every single thing he said. I think so too. And you had the Democrat response and the Democrat surrogates in the press, who I don't be- think they believed a word of what they were saying. I mm. think that if you cornered them and said, "Do you believe what you just said about the president or this policy or that policy?" They'd be like. No, I mean, I got to say, because I'm on a team. Right, right. And you know what it, when the camera would scan in the crowd and Trump would say something, you know, momentous and very moving, I would see the Democrats look left to right to see if their colleagues were standing up. And a few times where some of the Democrats would stand up, people would snare at them. People would shame them. And shame them for how dare you stand for lowest black and hispanic and asian unemployment ever how dare you how you dare you stand for uh cutting down in human sex trafficking exactly. how dare you stand for a holocaust survivor in world war ii hero or, yeah exactly or it's it's disgusting isn't it well what, the other thing that struck me right away was to see all these newly elected women democrats yes dressed up in white for women's suffrage and i thought women's suffrage was literally an ancillary organization of the Republican Party. <laughs> See, I didn't even know oh, that. Oh, no, no, no. They were <laughs> all Republicans. That. No, they were literally all Republicans. I wonder For example, Elizabeth Stanton. Yes. Okay. I knew she was Republican, but I still I had to fact check. 
Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to say it even though I know it. I, I could be wrong. Not only was she a Republican, her husband, okay, what's her husband? founded the Republican Party. <laughs> what? Yeah, her husband was one of the co-founders <laughs> of, the, of Republican the Republican Party. Party. So, Susan B. Anthony, <laughs> yes. Republican. What? No, no. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Stanton were not only Republicans. Guess what else they were? What? Radically anti-abortion. Oh, and they God. saw abortion is treating women like cattle. That was one of her quotes. Uh, um, wow. Yes. So what so history I, books are they reading? They're not. They're no, not. they're not. But I thought, it gave me hope. I thought in 50 years, 100 years, they are going to be, they won't because the Democrat Party is, is gone, I hope. But yeah. But they're going to be all these women dressed in white celebrating the pro-life movement that are, you know, descendants of the Democrat Party. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they don't even understand their own history. Exactly. And you know what is also, I, I've been seeing this all around, it's how a bunch of Democrats are wearing all white should scare you. Oh. <laughs> no, I As called some of my black shows. friends in the South. I called some of my black friends in the South today. Yes. And um, I'm working on another initiative that I had. To, it just happens to be a lot of my friends I'm working on this initiative with are black guys from the South. And I, and I said, guys, um, I have to apologize. I really did not think blackface was a thing. Really? Yeah. And one of my black friends said, who's running for office in Virginia right now, said that's because you're from the North. And it's a white Southern Democrat thing. Is it really? Because I had to grow up with this in college and law school and parties. They would go, they would go to parties dressed up as the Klan. They would go to parties dressed up in blackface in the seventies and eighties. He said, "This is a real thing." Northam. Yeah. yeah. No, he said not just Northam. Now we've got four members of the yes. Democrats, right? All yes. Of them. All so I said, "This is," and I said, "Listen, I want to be fair. I want to be fair." So I asked him. I said, "I hope I don't offend you, but I want to be fair." Did they do this because they wanted to be campy and shocking? You know how young people are. They want to oh, shock yeah. their friends. They want to be campy. I, I said, or did they do this out of expressions of racism? Wow. And he said, well, to be fair, it's both. Really? He said, it is an express. They were kids when they did this. They were trying to be shocking, but at the same time, they had pride in their Southern heritage. They had pride in the Confederate you know, army. So they would dress up as Confederate soldiers. They would dress up as Klansmen. They would dress up in blackface. And it was both. Wow. They might not even have seen themselves as virulent racist or thought of themselves as racist. But, and this is why maybe so many people in the Democrat Party, you, what, uh, people, black people and white people in the Democrat Party, you're obsessed with blackface because you all were in blackface. Yeah. That's true. All these white Democrats, you know, were all in blackface. What a poor choice and selection for oh, dressing all in for, white. Yeah, and you know, I, I want to make a comment about that too. If you are one ounce of a feminist, you would hate the fact that someone is telling you what to wear. Mm. You would hate the fact of someone telling you where to sit, when to stand, when to, stand. When to clap. I mean. It, they look like a bunch of robots, and they seem to be happy about that. So they're standing for the progression of women, but also looking side to side to say, oh, should should I or should I not? 
wouldn't you break out and be your own person, be your own woman? So I, the whole symbolism just kind of backfired, I would say. Yeah. Well, it really was embarrassing. It like was. even Trump, I don't know if Trump was a gentleman or if he didn't know what was happening. Yeah. But the only time they broke ranks for standing and applauding, it wasn't. What were some of the applause lines? Cutting down on sex trafficking. Yes, the economy is growing. Yeah, black unemployment, Latino unemployment, record lows. Yeah. Cutting uh, El Paso, going from one of the most violent cities in America to one of the safest. Right. Uh, A a young woman who had sentenced to 20, 30 years life in prison. Yeah, the first step act. Got freed. Yeah. Clause line. Nope, they don't stand for that. Yeah. What did the destruction of ISIS? Nothing. They didn't stand for that. Nothing. But when couldn't they control their enthusiasm? They had to stand. They were so excited. They didn't really stand. They hooted. They howled. They high-fived, patted each other on the back. Do you yeah. know what that was for? For their own job. <laughs> they got elected <laughs> to Congress. Yeah, exactly. And he said there are more women in Congress than ever. Yes. They couldn't control their enthusiasm. They couldn't because for once the speech was about them and not about the progress of America. And you know, Trump didn't get it, which shows you his heart. He thought they were standing for, for women. women's unemployment. Oh, yeah. Being more women in the economy than ever, women's unemployment. Yes. Uh, record low. But Trump didn't get that. And he goes, keep standing. It gets even better. Remember? He yes. said, don't sit down. You're going to yes. like what comes next. Yes. Then he won them over. They kind of got confused. Did you catch that? I, I caught that. They were kind of like, whoa, wait. Uh, he's on our team too now? Like yeah. Trump won them over in the midst of their little and protest. And then they started chanting USA. He got Democrats <laughs> to chant USA. Isn't that Has it ever been done? I don't think so. Well, so here's, I want to get to, I want to get to abortion real quick. Uh, yes. Because that came towards the end. Yes, it did. But it's, it's top of my mind because like you said, he got them to chant USA. He got Nancy Pelosi to stand and applaud when he said, we will never be a socialist country. Oh, that was a golden moment. That was a goal. Well, because he framed it in a way where they could not ignore. Well, I think she was standing against, uh, she wasn't standing for Trump. She was standing against um, Sanders? Sanders and, and uh, AOC. Yeah, AOC. Alexandra, okay. He was standing, she, Nancy Pelosi was standing against AOC. That was, oh. she was signaling, we will not let you kooks take over our party. We're grifters. Wow. We live off of capitalism. We, <laughs> yes. we are parasites. You will not kill our host. Yes. Like, we need the free market to exist. To thrive, yeah. You know, we can have, like, one good year. I mean, look at her socialist. husband. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's right? catching it. Yeah, like, she's worth, her, she herself's worth how much? $120 million? Uh, yes. So Big yeah, bucks. So, so <laughs> she got Nancy Pelosi. He got, he got Nancy Pelosi to stand against yes. socialism. And what I think is interesting, now this is going to be controversial for you, Republicans out there, but you got to hear me. Trump is a Democrat. What do you mean? Okay. Trump is who the Democrats were. He's the best of who the Democrats were. He's for fair trade, not unfettered free trade. Unfettered free trade, NAFTAGAT, that's the Republicans. Yeah. He's for protecting our industries, using tariffs to fight fair and fight for our industry, bring industry back home. He's the best of who the Democrats used to be. And there are a lot of, you know, and I want to use the abortion issue here. Donald Trump, I did not trust him on abortion. Right. 
And so when he was the nominee, I thought that we would get, as soon as he was elected, we'd be thrown off the train. But the one constituency that Donald Trump, to me, with the powers of his office, what he can do, has, has been most loyal to, is the pro-life movement. And I can say this because I have friends in high-level positions in government administrations, I mean in government agencies across the board, USAID, State Department, and other places who are using their positions to fight for life. These are things that aren't seen or reported on, but that are happening. Trump's statement on life about us being made in the image and likeness of God. Of God. Can I just remind He said God to a bunch of people, and I saw their faces drop in that room. Because it's such a weird concept to talk about, right, as a politician? Yeah, what he basically restated was our founding principle. It's beautiful. That we are endowed by God with inalienable rights. We're the only polity. Yes. We're the only political community in the world founded on anthropology. Well, look at my reaction. How sad is that that I am surprised that he said that? Did I tell you he was going to say it? Yeah. I thought I did. I was telling everyone Trump's going to use this because I just, the Democrats overstepped and I knew he'd be angry. Yeah. But So let me get to my point about him kind of being a Democrat. My mother-in-law said this. My mother-in-law is a hardcore Hong Kong, you know, from China, fled Mao to Hong Kong, lived on the streets, ate out of garbage cans, went wow. out to become Miss Hong Kong, Ooh. and an actress and a model. She's very savvy. She's in politics. And she was a Democrat. Now she's a Republican. But she said, Trump plays offense. The Democrats don't know how to play defense because they're always on offense. So Trump keeps the Democrats on defense. Trump is always playing offense. Republicans don't know how to play offense. That's true. So they, Trump scares us. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa do we play defense. We don't know how to take the ball downfield. Mm-hmm. So when I mean like he's a Democrat, his instincts are that of a Democrat. There were a lot of pro-life Democrats in this country in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Trump is a New York Democrat in the 90s and in the early 2000s. Was He said he supported even partial birth abortion. Wow. There's an interview out there where you'll see him. He actually... He, he he when he's asked about abortion, he reacts with revulsion at the question. Mm-hmm. And he and he yanks back and he and he doesn't want to answer the question. He goes, Yeah, I'm pro-choice. Oh, what about what about late term? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I don't I don't like it, but it, yeah. What I realized about Trump is he's had no conversion on abortion. What he eventually decided is he was gonna be who he is all the way. That's a beautiful thing. I'm gonna be who I am. And he's always been pro-life. But he is a New York businessman. He didn't need to start fights. We thought where he didn't need to start fights. And so to me, it gives me hope. How many of those Democrat House members and senators believe that America is the greatest country in the world, believe in the free market, are repulsed by abortion? (laughs) Most of them. Yeah. But if they would just have the courage of Donald Trump to be publicly who they are. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. Be who you are. Don't this is the be, Jason Jones show. Don't be like those women in white looking around. Yeah. <laughs> Can I stand up? Can I applaud? What am I allowed to do now? I know. What am I allowed to say now? Preach. He's preaching. Am I right, though? Yes, you're right. A lot of those Democrats think like us. Yeah. But they don't have the courage 
or they're too, they're too, uh, their hands are in the pockets of the system. Oh, yeah. Swamp, and they right. can't take their, yeah, they don't want it. The swamp's comfortable, maybe. Yeah. But you have a man who's willing to risk everything. Oh, yeah. He's like kind of our founding fathers who were wealthy, powerful men who went to war for principles. No taxation without representation. Wealthy men, 2% tax. Mm-hmm. We want representation. We want the rights of, that Englishmen are expected to have and we hope to have. And that's Trump. Like, look, I'm going to fight for my country, even if I have to lose everything, even right. if I have to suffer everything. And I'm going to stand up for my beliefs, and he stood up for life. So to me, his statements on life, and infanticide, can you imagine we have a political party that publicly advocates killing children after they're born? I would have never thought. I would have never thought. If 12 months ago, when you were an anti-Trump, starting your, these anti-Trump rallies, yeah. And CRTV was there, and somebody put a camera in your face and said, what do you think about uh, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act? What would you have thought? I would say that's common sense. I mean, I wouldn't kill a baby. I mean... So you would have said, <laughs> you, so you agree with President Trump. Would you have had the courage to say that then? What I would be most scared of is who's asking this question, and I'm, am I going to offend them? The way that I answer. That's what, oh. that would be my most, I know what I would feel, but I would be too afraid because. You're right, going to like those girls in white, those ladies in white. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so shameful. I'm sorry. You'd be looking left and right. Like, what yeah, am I supposed to do? Ex- exactly. And that's what most people are. And I think the majority, I would say normal working class citizens do agree with Trump. And I don't know why they've taken such a radical take on abortion. Is it because of the resistance of the president or is this is just always who they were and finally it's getting ousted into the public? I don't know. The abortion industry is wealthy and powerful. Mm-hmm. I talked to a member of Congress um, yesterday, a Republican member, on the phone and I was saying, how do we reach across the aisle to get Democrats to support us just on infanticide, leave abortion off the table for now. And, and, and for the listeners here, my number one mission, number one is full legal protection from violence for all human beings, Simple. all human Simple. beings, including the child in the womb. But right now we actually have a battle of expanding it to include children after they're born. What does killing a child after it's born have to do with women's health? Yeah, exactly. Or women's autonomy. It's not your body anymore. It's not. They don't, so they don't care. That whole story about my body, my choice, lie. Yeah. Because now the child's not in their body. Yeah. And also the concern for women's health, lie, because it's not, it has nothing to do with women's health. And we know now with the New York law, they don't even want doctors involved in abortions now. Exactly. It used to be it's a decision between a woman and her doctor. Now, they don't even want a doctor involved because that's a little expensive. They want women to self-abort. So there's no doctor present. Yeah, they want self-abortions. Chemical abortions with no doctor present. You make more money. It's cheaper. You can just go online, order the pills. They make more profit. Less, yeah. And I think all Americans can agree, pro-life or quote-unquote pro-choice, if you're going to do a procedure like an abortion, a doctor should be present. I don't want abortions to ever be done. 
I want full legal protection for the child and the woman for the violence of abortion. But if you, yeah. if you're pro-choice <laughs> and you, you want a woman, and you, it's about women's health, you want a doctor present when she can hemorrhage and die. Women yes. hemorrhage and die all the time from these abortion pills. Yes. They don't want a doctor present. That's what the New York law says. You don't need a doctor present. It doesn't, but the lack of, un- not understanding, but they just keep it at that. It's very surface level. It's my choice. And if you if you were to tell a pro-choicer this exact argument, I wouldn't even, because it hits, you can't refute it, right? Because if you were to tell me this about seven months ago, I'd just be like, no, 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 no. You're, you're going too far off the deep end. Let's just It's keep propaganda. It. Yeah. You're lying. Exactly. So it's I'm, never dangerous. Yes, exactly. Well, my friend, the Republican member of the House said, he said, Jason, it'll never happen because the abortion industry has too much money. Wow. It's about the money. So we forget abortion's a moral issue. Slavery was a moral issue. Segregation was a moral issue, but there were also economic issues. Abortion is big business. It's big abortion. Right. What I don't get about progressives, they talk about big pharma. They talk about big agriculture. You think the billion-dollar abortion industry is what exactly? Right. And segregation, there was a huge economic incentive in segregation. Slavery was an industry. We forget the slave trade. It was the slave trade. Uh, Buying and selling human beings as property. So, you, ha- I mean, most Americans had to know slavery was repugnant. Mm-hmm. They didn't want it before, but it was an industry. And so it's sad. So on that note, I said to my, my friend, who's a Republican, I said, well, then the abortion industry is going to kill something that I can support them on. They're going to kill the Democrat Party. Really? Yeah, because most Americans are going to be repulsed by the reality of late-term abortions and born-alive, and born-alive abortions. Mm-hmm. And if we finally have a president who's going to tell America about it, mm-hmm. who's going to fight them on it, who's going to play offense. Oh, there you the go. Democrats don't know how yeah. to play defense. How do you play defense? They celebrated and cheered born-alive abortions. Well, and we just call it infanticide. Why do we call it what? abortion? That's, I was just about to tell you that. I was like, that verbiage, born-alive abortion. That's murder. <laughs> well, the, uh, the NARAL came out with a statement today that said, there's no such thing as late-term abortions. That's a that's a abortion extremist term. No such thing. Oh, I like the it. proper it's term abortion. is, there's no such thing as late-term abortions, according to NARAL. The proper term is abortions done later in pregnancy. Wow. Oh, okay. That doesn't sound nearly as bad. (laughs) That's better. Okay. And I also, I want to bring up, um, I'm not too sure if you heard about that organizer of Planned Parenthood who just switched to to being uh, pro-life. So I forget what. Abby Johnson? Was that her? Yeah. Not just. And a couple of years ago, she has a movie coming out called Unplanned oh, as yes. Leaders March 29th. Yes. So what really struck me, and I'm, I'm just getting into the pro-life uh, movement okay. and figure out how it all works. So they say that they want to give women more options, right? And more choice, right? So she said that she even um, tried to talk to management about giving women more options rather than just abortion in the clinic. So if I'm a pregnant woman, I'm going into the clinic, and I don't know if I want an abortion, but I want other options. They denied her request because any other option than abortion is a cut in revenue. 
How sad is that? They said, if a woman walks into a clinic, we already know that she wants abortion. So we're just going to give it to her. So we're not going to put any pamphlets out about maybe you should do adoption. So it's starting to make a whole lot of sense now. And, and Abby Johnson, friend of mine, and she cared about women. And yeah. she got lured into this industry out of a care for women. There are a lot of people in this industry that are lured. Look, we know Planned Parenthood was founded by Margaret Sanger, a virulent racist. We know that. Yeah. But the people who even work there would be scandalized to know about that. Right. And they really do think, and then they're in too deep, and then they start to notice things, and they want to excuse them, and they've invested so much in this organization. Oh, yeah. And it's hard to acknowledge. Oh, yeah. And and maybe even they were suffered sexual abuse and they had an abortion, and they think that that was good for them. So it's so hard for them to acknowledge that they're a part of an organization that is hurting women, exploiting women, damaging women, and it is all about the money. And, yeah, you have someone like Abby Johnson mm-hmm. who was in there, like, she just fell off the turnip truck. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, you yeah. know, let's give women other options. And they're like, well, wait, what? It's not, the that's like, not the business, baby. Yeah, yeah exactly. This is the business. Like the lady, the abortionist in the undercover delighting video uh-huh. where she said what when she was selling the baby body parts. Now, some of you who have found this because of a hashtag and you're like, what are they talking about? Google. Um, uh, Center for Medical Ethics, and you will find these videos where undercover um, actors, undercover reporters, captured the uh, selling of baby body parts from abortionists to research laboratories. And one of the abortionists said that, it, that she was she was asked by one of the undercover investigators, "What's your goal?" And she said, "My goal isn't that you discover a cure for cancer through." the baby hearts that I'm selling you or that you cover, you know, my, I know it's a sad thing that we're killing babies and selling you their, their, their brains. And that, but I hope you find a cure for leukemia, childhood leukemia. No, that wasn't her goal. Her goal, she says in the video, as she's drinking a glass of wine is a Lamborghini Oh, while drinking a glass of wine. That was her goal. It's all about the money. These are the things finally that are being brought to light. By our president. By our president. Do you want to, what other issues do you want to talk about? Ha, his guest that he brought on. I mean, if you want to call Trump a racist, try doing that now. Okay, how can they see your great Instagram? Is that on your YouTube channel too? Yeah. Okay. Anywhere you want to go, it's there. Tell him tell him about what you did, which is awesome. So I I took a bunch of points that I used to think Trump as. Racist. Um, if I used to, you mean seven months ago. Seven, yeah. Way back when. Yes. Way back when. Seven months ago. So that he was a racist. He hates uh, immigrants. What else? He's, oh, a big one. Was, he's so crazy. He's going to start the next world war. Um, you know, stuff like that. Right. And you go through the speech and he knocks them out of the park. He's just like, nope. Try again. Nope. Try again. But. If if you aren't watching that with without your, I would say like the liberal glasses, you're just picking yeah for for things that he's saying wrong. It you have no argument. You know what CNN was saying all because I I have CNN playing in my house all day every day. Uh, I live with my grandparents, and the one thing that they kept saying they couldn't refute you know, the the whole unity vibe. What they kept saying is, oh, we're going to fact check him for everything he's saying. That's their main goal. And I'm like, 
do not agree that he was trying to unite everybody and, and come with positivity. They just want to, they couldn't find anything. That's basically what, <laughs> what I'm getting at. Yeah. No, a fact check. Everything you said was a fact. So now yeah. they're like, well, he claimed, well, we don't know if he can take credit for it. Exactly. You know, if there's one thing that I liked about Trump when I didn't like him, there was one thing I liked, there was uh-huh. one thing I believed, that he was just fed up with our unnecessary regime change wars and the impact oh, these yeah. wars were having on our military families, on the lives lost, the wounded coming home, and on the countries we were claiming to help. Oh, yeah. I knew he was an anti-war president. The one thing Trump has proven is the lie that the Democrat Party is the anti-war party. Mm-hmm. Even Tulsi Gabbard, the one anti-war Democrat that I can think of, well, Bernie Sanders, maybe, I don't know. But the one Democrat that's been has a similar foreign policy to Trump, so much so that Trump interviewed her for a cabinet-level position, is being just, just attacked by her own party. That's so weird. And so all these progressives, the Democrat Party that they adore is the regime change war party. Could you imagine if there was a video of Trump cackling about killing a foreign leader the way Hillary Clinton was at the killing of Gaddafi? Gaddafi, we came, we saw, and he's dead. (laughs) And she just cackled. Wow. Who laughs at another human being being killed? Yeah. It's, It's not a funny thing. It's not. And Hillary Clinton cackled at the death of a thug, of a dictator, of a, a regime change war that was catastrophic for our interests and for the people of Libya. And here Trump is creating peace, destroys ISIS. Not only does the media not give any t- uh, appreciation for ISIS, he couldn't get a Democrat that I saw to stand and applaud for the, 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 the near destruction of ISIS. Mm, yeah. Isn't that crazy? I it, See, getting into all this as a newcomer, I'm so amazed how you could still be a Democrat right now or like a middle of the fence type of person because it's, all of their ideas are just so radical. I can see how you are uncomfortable with a lot of how Trump talks Oh yeah, about his lifestyle or, yeah. or even some Republican policies, even though I'm a conservative Republican. I can see how a lot of what we believe or how Trump communicates makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. But if you are not repulsed, it's like the Republicans make me mildly uncomfortable or I disagree with them there or here, but the Democrats have become repulsive. Of course. Like just you hit it on that. Repulsive. I'm not saying you can throw arguments about Trump here. You can say this about Trump, that about Trump, this policy about the Republicans or that policy about the Republicans you don't agree with. Yeah. But the Democrats have become repulsive. Agreed. Even to the point that they attack their own sane progressives, whether it's a celebrity like Ellen or Kevin Hart, or it's a politician like Tulsi Gabbard, Congresswoman from Hawaii, that the left is savaging. Anyone who tries to do any sort of temperance to their lunacy, they savage. So and what are they doing instead? They're trying to one-up each other to stay relevant, which is why I think, like how you said it, the Democrat Party is going to be no more. I don't. I don't think they're going to survive this primary. Yeah. Unless a leader steps forward and says, you know, let's work with Trump. Let's work for America. Let's walk away from identity politics. Let's Oof. talk about policy that we agree and disagree with. 
Uh, you know, we can disagree on policy. And this is the one thing I have said, which Trump communicated so well. The polls demonstrated too, by the way. Oh, yeah. America the loves were. the speech. Here's what I always say, guys. The biggest lie in America is that we have never been more divided as a country. Because the truth is we've never been more united. Really? Ever. Never has... Americans have never been more united in a shared vision that we want what's best for everybody's child when it comes to economic opportunity, to the best education, to the best health care, to safe schools and safe neighborhoods. Everybody in America today agrees with that. I mean, you've got to be an absolute lunatic today, these fringes. We all want that. We disagree radically on how to achieve our shared vision. If somebody supports vouchers, school vouchers, school choice, that's because they believe the best way for poor and marginalized children to get the best education is through vouchers. Mm -hmm. If somebody supports a single unified education system for a state like Hawaii has, mm -hmm. it's because that, that's the best way to give every kid the best education. We disagree on how to achieve our shared goals. Now, I believe as a homeschool Christian parent, <laughs> that my child is never going to step foot in a public school, that, that I would prefer a voucher system. Because yeah. I'm not, I do believe, I'm not, I'm not a radical libertarian. We have, we have an, ob an obligation as a community, and we want to, as a community, create a, a, a systems of giving everyone the best opportunity to have the best education for everybody's kid. I think a voucher system is the best way to do that. I don't think that the person who opposes that is a hateful bigot. And it would be strange to think that I'm a hateful bigot. But in 1945, right after the Holocaust, a Jewish girl won um, Miss America. Mm -hmm. And white people rioted across America. Wow. That was a divided country. Yeah. The 1950s, the civil rights movement, that was a divided country. Oh, yeah. You know, today, that's odd behavior. And what, you know, you are, I tell people, I mean, they, they can't see you. But you're, are you a blonde haired, blue eyed white girl from Alabama? <laughs> with a privileged education, you know, like went to a fancy private school and went to Duke. Well, by the way that I'm sounding on this podcast, I would hope you at least think I'm educated. <laughs> no, but are you? But, but did you? But, you, but, yeah, you no, know, I'm they, an islander. I'm half Samoan. I'm Filipino, brown because my ancestors worked in fields. <laughs> you know, it's far from the stereotype. So. By the way, there's this guy, G. Moody, Gerald Moody. He's uh -huh. got a funny podcast you people shouldn't listen to because you'll be mad at me for sending you to it because it's really inappropriate. <laughs> but he, uh, black guy, he talks about the privilege of melanin. Wow. He's like, I got melanin privilege. I'm black. I'm beautiful. I can stay in the sun all day. You white people can't go out for five minutes. You get sick. You got to go to the emergency room. He's like, I love my melanin. He goes, I'm going to flip flips the blackface thing. It's really funny. He goes, you envy me. That's why you're painting your face looking all stupid. You want to be like me. I got melanin privilege. But but the idea is, by the way, I don't find it's like, and I come, I can tell two stories about myself. Yeah. I could say I was raised by a single mom in sexual housing in a broken home, dropped out of high school, was homeless, was a teen parent. All that's true. Wow. But I could also say I had a father who worked, worked his way up from, um, you know, Moved away when I was very young. Didn't see him for four years when well, he was in the army. Came back, worked day labor jobs. Then was the shoe salesman at Marshalls. 
And then and by the time I was in junior high, he was vice president. And I got to live in a upper middle class neighborhood and drive in my dad's Camaro. Guess what? That story's true too. Wow. I got to go to the University of Hawaii, go yeah. to graduate school at Hawaii Pacific University. Those sound like two different people, two different experiences, two different lives. But it's one person. Mm-hmm. It's one person. And um, but we all have a shared vision. So I, in my growing up in my childhood, I still have all my Facebook friends, my friends from all the neighborhoods I lived in, my mom's neighborhood, my dad's neighborhood, guys I was in the army with from all over the country and of every ethnicity, lived in Hawaii for 30 years. And we all have the same values. Yeah. So, so let me ask you then. Yeah. Is it our politicians then that reflect really what all of our shared values are? It doesn't seem like it. No, they, they profit off of fomenting division. Yeah. Because segue, Abrams, Stacy, her, her address right after Trump. Okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna need yeah. you to take the lead on this, and here's why: I have ADHD, and I looked at the screen with my eyes open, <laughs> and I was like, mm, "Pay attention, pay attention, drift, drift, drift. Pay attention, pay attention." What did she say? Well, let me tell you something. I was paying attention, and it was hard. It was hard for anything to stick because it didn't resonate with me. It didn't have any message or or I could get behind so she was just merely talking and what it was is all about how Trump's wrong how he's very divisive how everything that he was talking about uh was he did not address the most important issues in America and it was a very uh, what would you say you can tell it's very scripted maybe she even just it didn't even seem like her body was aligned with what she was saying. That's what I got. What I took from what I'm like, this woman doesn't even believe what she is saying. Exactly. And I took away from Trump. Trump believes every word of what he is saying. Exactly. Did she do it for the political game? Did she do it because this was her, her debut or her comeback moment from her, you know, her campaign? I don't know why they chose her. Because I think she's going to be running for Senate. Yeah. Well, they want to, you know, it's all about optics, right? It's all about virtue. We're the party of inclusivity. They're the racists. We, you know, it was the first time I didn't fact check this, but I heard this on CNN. So it might not be true, but, (laughs) but CNN said this was the first time a black woman ever gave a response to the state of the union. By the way, if that's true, that's kind of sad. That is not that I think we should give somebody that opportunity just because of their ethnicity or their gender. I remember you saying to me one time, this always resonates with me. Imagine being so not racist that you don't use people for the color of their skin. You don't exploit that. And that's everything that the Democratic Party does. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Like yeah. The goal is, that, and, and, and I often will say to people, or that you, even if it means you're going to be called racist. Yeah. Like you're willing to be called racist. Because you're so committed to not exploiting people. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. And um, it's hard because you don't want to be called a racist in today's America. Of course. So it drives people to do things that are kind of racist. That's true. And exploitative. That's true. Well, just like being a token, right? I need to be a part of Turning Point USA because we're so inclusive. Like, no, because... I actually believe in the ideas 
So yeah. I, but I think too, it's my daughter says that she's Hapa Holly, and she when she was younger, she would talk about she would feel sometimes an obligation. She she once said to like speak out so people couldn't call the white kids that were speaking out racists because they do they see like we once did a, a survey when I worked for a pro, national pro life organization of affluent pro choice white people so they had to make over two hundred thousand dollars a year be pro identified as pro choice mm-hmm. and we wanted to know why and what was interesting is do you know who did the focus group for us Ooh. Kelly Ann Conway. What? Yeah. So Kelly Ann did the focus group, and we asked a bunch of questions of all these different focus groups. So we did with some with men, some with women, and some with mixed. Uh huh. And one of the questions we didn't, one of the answers was, "Why do you say you're pro-choice?" One of the and we gave them things they could say. One of the things we didn't give them to say was, "Because I don't want to be people to think I'm racist." Wow. In every group, somebody would say. Well, there's, there's an answer I have that's not on here. Like, I don't want people to think I'm racist. And this was in 2003. And I remember at the time thinking, that's a dumb answer. What, what, what does that have to do with anything? But as soon as somebody would say that in a focus group, then the rest of them would say, yeah, that's mine. Oh. So you have these affluent white people. And the, the, my boss who wanted to do the focus group, he believed, which I didn't think would work, and it turned out not to be appealing, is that they knew the economics damage that abortion was doing to America and destroying our economy, impacting Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, da da da. That would be a persuasive argument. By the grace of God, it wasn't because that creeped me out. Uh-huh. But somebody would be like, "Well, I don't think it's a life, but uh, if it means that it'll keep Social Security stable, then we'll deny a woman her right to choose." Like that's kind of gross. Like yeah. the only reason to be against abortion is because you recognize it's a human being that you want to protect. Yeah. But so my daughter would say, like, I feel an obligation to be a part of groups like this or that. Yeah. So the poor kids don't get called racist. Oh, Isn't that interesting? That's sad. And now it's at a macro level in politics today. I think we're at the end, near the end of it. Yeah. What do you think? I don't know how much worse it could get, so I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think people are going to be over it. Or maybe I'm naive because we live in Hawaii. Maybe. I'm really open to it. And what's making me think maybe there's more racism in America than I've ever imagined. Mm-hmm. It's really Democrats out there, social justice warriors, something that's really making me think, have I been this naive to structural and institutional racism? Is the Democrat Party being filled with guys that were wearing blackface? <laughs> Honestly, this is kind of freaking me. I'm like, Really? Yeah. Really? This was a thing. And then I'm talking to a lot of my friends, and they're like, this was a thing. Wow. This was a thing. It just seemed, to me, it's, it's yeah. what I'm saying is Democrat Party, you got to clean your own house. Because oh, yeah. it's creeping me out. It's scary in there. You want to talk about immigration? And then maybe we can talk about one more thing and then close this thing up? Because immigration, yeah. to me, was the most interesting. Was there, it was, I think it was the longest segment. Yeah, and it was the most original for Trump. The one, the one point of the speech that I was like, "Whoa, he just said that." I can't remember verbatim what it was, but he basically said, "Immigration is the single issue that divides the elites, so the politician and Americans, because the wealthy politicians who are getting paid 
by these lobbyists are keeping the safety are or risking our safety. Yeah, risking our safety because of your paychecks or he didn't say that, but you know the gist of what Yeah, so I'll tell you what most struck me about with Trump's immigration speech. First of all, I think it was the best presentation of his immigration policy yet. Mm-hmm. And he did it in a way that I think would be appealing to the broadest amount of Americans. Oh, yeah. And I am, I've been writing about immigration for 20 years. You can Google Jason Jones immigration, and I've been publishing at Fox News, The Blaze, everywhere for 20 years in immigration, almost 20 years. I've been saying the same thing uh-huh. secure the border to protect Americans, to protect migrants, and to protect illegal immigrants from exploitation. Yeah. So he talked about he migrants. Did. That was a I, that's point. the first time I've heard him say that. Wow. And so clearly. And then he said something else that I thought was beautiful. We want more immigrants than ever. Beautiful. And I always say that, like, don't. My brother-in-law is from Mexico. My mother-in-law is an immigrant. My yeah. father-in-law is an immigrant. My, everyone in my family is first <laughs> generation. Exactly. And I'm, I love immigrants. I'm not like sometimes how he characterized. You know, MS-13 is not representative of Mexican immigrants. Yeah. But they are a real problem. Yeah, if there's a million illegals and a thousand of them are MS-13 or a hundred of them are MS-13, that's still a problem that's big and has to be addressed. Oh, yeah. But we have to be honest and say, these immigrants are blessing us. They're the best gift we have. They've been the best what gift we've had. What a beautiful stance. And he said that. He said, we want more immigrants than ever. We just want them here legally. And then he said, he didn't say more than I would have hoped he said, but he said something that allowed me to go, I get him now. He, this is what he said. He said that illegal immigrants are hurting um, America. He talked about the safety to Americans and, and American immigrants. And, and he talked about the lives and jobs of citizens and new immigrants, legal immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I thought this man is, I would have liked him also to have said, and the lives and safety of vulnerable illegal migrants who are being exploited. Oh yeah. I would have liked him to say that, but the way Trump said it, the lives and jobs of our citizens, it made me understand Donald Trump clearly knows what his job is. Yeah. He's the president of the United States. And it's the president of Mexico or 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 or, or uh, Honduras, da da da, to worry about the plight of their citizens. Now, I, as a human rights activist, We've been researching and writing for a long time on what happens to Im- illegal migrants that get trapped in our dangerous, violent, underground economy that exploits them. I wish you would say that, but the reason he didn't say that isn't because he's a racist or a bigot, mm-hmm. because he knows his job as president of the United States and he was elected to fight for the interests of American citizens. But he did talk about shutting down the sex trafficking, the oh, human yeah. trafficking, coyotes All that are the, the victimizing. Yeah. Victimizing these poor migrants. Oh yeah. So he, you know, so this was the best explanation of his immigration policy, and to see how the Democrats didn't know how they had no response to it. There, there was a response actually. Okay, what was close up of Kamala Harris shaking her head? That was the response. Okay, so feel free to chime in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach a little bit here again. Okay. Because I get angry about this. Yes. My passion on immigration was birth. In 2004, when I worked for the RNC in Wisconsin, and I would go around to these different farm communities, and in one of these communities, I discovered a huge, 
population of illegal migrant workers mm-hmm. that literally left and came back every year. Wow. And I said to one of the farmers, what's the deal with this? And they would ride bikes. They would ride bikes. Too. I would see them on bicycles in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. And he said, you know, it's just the way the economy works. We need them for our industry to survive. So we get left alone. We'll never be raided. We don't have to worry about things like that. I'm like, why are they riding bikes everywhere? He goes, well, because some of them, you know, they're illegal and they're paranoid about getting pulled over or picked up. So you'll see them ride bikes quite far. And they only they have one church they go to. They have one grocery store. It was in the middle of Wisconsin. Wow. There was this little Mexican grocery store and with Mexican Coke, which I love. So I'd go there for the yeah. Mexican Coke. And there was a one forest preserve. And they would all hang out this one forest preserve. And they lived in fear. And I'm not to doubt. Uh, yeah. So here we, we, and the farmer was like, look, I don't like it. But this is the reality of our economy and the structure of our economy. So that's when I started paying attention. I thought, we have an economy with this huge social welfare system and all these legal protections that have been granted to American workers that in reality, if there are massive loopholes, the whole economy collapses. So we have an economy that rests on the exploitation of 12 million or more illegal migrants. And then they have to go to the, all the things that conservatives complain about. They go to the emergency room or this and that. They use their schools and they burden our system. So working class Americans are writing the checks for big business and big unions. So you have the Chamber of Commerce not wanting mandatory verification system. You have the you have Wall Street and big labor all on the same page. Keep the status quo. Keep millions of Americans trapped in a, in a dangerous underground economy. Keep exploiting vulnerable migrants. Oh, now we got this problem of the Dreamers. Oh, blame the Republicans for it. I support the DREAM Act, and I support a path to citizenship for anyone living and working in this country for a long period of time, a path, but not until we secure the border and have a mandatory verification system. Otherwise, we're only encouraging more people to, to, to show risking your life in the back of a, of a truck, right. um, risking your life, putting your life in the hands of a coyote could pay off. Yeah. And that's not something I want to be a part of. Right. So let's have an economy where everybody has the same legal protections. Oh yeah. So like Trump said, more immigrants than ever, but legal. Right. Let these migrants have the same legal protections you and I would have in the workforce. Let them actually have the American dream. Freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom. And not, their life is not free. Not hiding in a little apartment complex over here, riding your bike to the little grocery store here, and you can only go to this forest preserve here. And not driving here. a car. Not driving a car. See, that's what the, these are the types of conversations that people should be having. And Trump's doing, and making us have them. Yes. So that's the, that's the last big point I had. Did you have any other big points? I want to give you socialism. Yes. Socialism. This, by the way, meeting you and Jay has given me so much hope because I feel I'm winning the, the battle on abortion mm-hmm. with your generation, but I've been afraid that your generation is going socialist. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something happening. There is something happening. And you guys are at the tip of the spear. Yeah. So, see, I wouldn't even thought to bring up socialism, but that's was probably top of your mind. Yeah. So, tell me why. Socialism what did Trump is say? the hot ticket. For the people who aren't listening, tell them what Trump said. Trump, oh, he said a whole bunch of things. He's, he first, he started with Venezuela and how much, how crazy that situation's been. And then he goes on to say, we will continue to be a free country. 
and socialism will not something along like America will never, never be, be a socialist, socialist country. country. And the camera cut to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Bernie, beautiful. Do you know where I went on my honeymoon? Where? Siena and Rome. Do you want to know why? Why? I'm Catholic. Okay. Do you know where Bernie Sanders went on his honeymoon? Where? The Soviet Union. Really? Why? Why? Why would anyone go to the Soviet Union for their honeymoon? Beats me. They're a communist. <laughs> like, this guy is a communist. He is. Oh, he is, yeah. But. <sighs> so the camera, yeah. we, we will never be a socialist country. <laughs> and then Nancy Pelosi stands up and applauds. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Everyone is in agreement that the Democrat Party should move away from socialism. Praise God. Yes. I want there to be two national parties. Yeah. Just like in, the United, in, in Hawaii, I want us to have two parties. I want a Republican party. <laughs> we have one party. Yeah. I want two parties. So socialism, what else? Socialism. That's what else did he say? What else did he say about socialism? Yeah, or anything else that we want to miss. Okay, I got here abortion, world war. He talked about North Korea. He said, if I wasn't president, yeah. I think we'd be at war with North Korea right now. Yeah. I disagree with him on that. Really? I think we'd be at war with Russia. Yeah. I really do. Hillary Clinton is where all of the, the hawks have moved to support Hillary. Wow. Trump has chased them out of the Republican Party. And all these hawks these, that have been like fomenting a coup in the Ukraine, uh-huh. you know, uh, at Russia's doorstep. What would we do if we fomented, if Russia fomented a coup in Mexico? Ooh. If there was a pro-American president, they fomented a coup to put an anti-American president. What would the United States do? We'd go to war, right? Yeah, we, we would... Uh, Rangers would, would fall from the sky. Yeah. There'd be a little firefight and there'd be some dictator in <laughs> prison in Mexico. Yeah. That's what would happen. Well, yeah. I thought everyone was saying that Trump was going to cause the next world war, but that proved otherwise. You know, how he's kept talking about peace. And he believes it. And he believes it. He's a businessman. Yeah. <laughs> Businessmen don't want war. Despite what these socialist college professors tell you, <laughs> yeah. you know, businessmen want peace and prosperity and they want to have relationships with people in other countries so they can do business together and build hotels over there and right. do trade. That's what they want. Right. Right. Okay. So maybe we should wrap up with our, our, our general overall feelings. Okay. Like, I feel that he is starting to be more presidential more clean cut and I like it. I mean, he still has it and been saying it in a way that is him, but he's learning how to, like you said, play offense in a way that's actually going to make it hard for people to refute him. I thought it was beautiful. And the polls say as well, and I'm waiting to see his next move. As far as this wall goes, I don't know. I, I, at first, I was hoping, I was hoping in the State of the Union that he was going to announce the national emergency. Oh. Yeah, but now I step back and like, that would have been the worst thing. That would have been the worst thing. That would have been the worst thing. So he's a political genius, or I'm just a political idiot. I don't know. I'm. He, <laughs> no, you're not an idiot. By the way, you're so bright, you're so inquisitive, you're so open minded. This is what you said in the beginning about how you're, I think you meant it as a negative. Like I was a, a liberal 
product of my generation. But no, but you, your ability to progress is also a fruit of our culture. True. There's something about millennials, the this um, hyper fear of being outed, doxxed. I don't know if social media has caused this. I don't know what. Yeah. Yeah. But this and this desire to just kind of be passed over, don't look at me, don't call me out. It, it scares me. But there is an honesty, a gentleness, and a kindness and an empathy that is unique about your generation. Mm-hmm. And for if you're if you're like 40 and you go, no, they're rotten, then we're rotten because we're responsible <laughs> for this generation. Yeah. So what I'm Jason. trying to say, you guys are great because of us. You're welcome. <laughs> No, but really, I do. I do believe there's something so unique and beautiful about millennials that makes me very hopeful. But I thought that our prosperity and and our taking freedom for granted and the nature of mass media was maybe a real threat to freedom. But to see what's with like you and Jay, your friend, and how you are rediscovering the promise and beauty of America. And mm-hmm. and the working class, blue collar folks that put Trump in the White House, mm-hmm. because it wasn't hacks like me who were repulsed by Trump. I mean, I hate to say it, I am kind of. I would have never thought of myself as an established Republican hack, but maybe I kind of what well, I am. I've been in politics my entire adult life. Worked on the Bush campaign, the Brownback campaign. Lived in D.C. and I didn't see it in Trump. But guess who did? The working class folks. He had, even before he, I think he had the highest percentage of the black vote of any Republican since Eisenhower. Mm -hmm. So working class folks saw it. Your generation is starting to see it. You've seen it. Yeah. So it's strange to me that this eccentric billionaire who, when I was a young man, was on the cover of Playboy, (laughs) is the one that's telling America the child in the womb is made in the image of God. America is a great country. America will never be socialist. Yeah. What? What? Unbelievable. I think it's it is a God thing. I think so. Yeah. We are I've never believed in this sort of evangelical myth of American exceptionalism. Uh this idea that America was part of God's providence. Mm-hmm. And and maybe as part of somebody who was an atheist and a Catholic. So but man, I'm starting to think God seems to have his hand on us. Yeah. And we seem to be blessed in a way that we walk up to the brink of catastrophe time and time and time again. And in the most unusual ways, we're yanked back. I think the first, and these, the three catastrophes were the three denials, and I'll end on this, were the three denials of what Trump said yesterday. The three brutal denials of the idea that we're made in the image of God, that we're endowed by our creator with inalienable rights. The first thing, slavery, almost destroyed our republic, led to the bloodiest war the world has ever known up until that point. And when people talk about reparations, I would say the Battle of Gettysburg was maybe oh, yeah. reparations. Yeah. 52,000 men died in one battle, the Battle of Gettysburg to end slavery. Um, but slavery was a brutal denial of the founding principle, then it was segregation. Yeah. Again, slavery brought to us by the Democrats, fought for by the Democrats. <sighs> then you had segregation brought to you by the Democrats, oh, yeah. fought for by the Democrats. Republicans fought, was found, were founded to end slavery, 
but the charge for uh, segregate desegregation. Mm-hmm. So segregation was the second brutal denial of our founding principles. The Soviet Union exploited this horrible denial, fomented so much division, used it to seduce and attract, used this beautiful denial of our founding principles to seduce and attract a generation to this radical leftism in the 60s. But then we righted the ship again. And now we have abortion. Yeah. The third brutal denial of our founding principle that hit the pinnacle of the Freedom Tower, the very place two planes flew into buildings, the very place above that space of Earth was lit up in celebration of infanticide and late-term abortions. But that led to the events that had the President of the United States tell the world, the child in the womb and out of the womb is made in the image of God. Beautiful. So this State of the Union was very hopeful for me. Two weeks before, when New York passed that ridiculous law, I couldn't get out of bed for two days. Wow. I was so depressed. But Tiana, I want to thank you for coming here. Thank you. To this hot studio. <laughs> is it kind of hot? No, I'm okay. Jay, are you hot? Not too bad. You're liars. <laughs> you lie. Be who you are. Tell the truth. But I want to thank you guys for yes, coming thank here. thank you. Guys, there's going to be no end. This is the end. Uh, thank you for listening. Listen to our other shows. This won't be processed, cleaned up. Nothing. It is as it is. You're going to hear it as it was said. I don't know if you hear our Pacific storm, the rain hitting outside. Um, But can you do me a favor? Like and review. Give us five-star review. Five stars. If you liked it, give us five stars. If you didn't like it, give us five stars. Just don't write anything nice. Just give us five stars. But if you really (laughs) liked it, write it and say something nice. And I just want to say, what is the goal of this podcast, The Jason Jones Show? Tiana, what do you think the goal of it is? Educate, I think. Educate? Yeah. And what? Call people to action. That's true. Okay, so here's the goal, as I wrote it. See, I have it right there. <laughs> Promote a respect for the intrinsic dignity of the human person, regardless of age, ability, status, ethnicity, or sex. That's the goal of my apostolate. And our vision is converting our civilization into one that venerates the dignity beauty and worth of the human person from the first moments of life to natural death and defends life at every level of government from that of the smallest town to alliances and agreements among sovereign nations. A very small goal. It's not just the goal of my podcast. It's the goal of my movies, my books, my columns. I have it right above my desk. And people are listening to this podcast all over the world. And I just, this is just this past week. Tiana, this is where people are listening, and I can't even believe it because the production quality could be better, all right? <laughs> I'm not the best orator or communicator, and you all are listening in? USA. USA. Okay, read it. Okay, read Canada, it. New Zealand, UK, Australia, Germany, Sweden, Japan. I need to take a break. Spain, France, Panama, Honduras, Mexico. Where am I going? Kenya, Italy, Ireland, Iran, the Philippines. I don't even know how to say that one. I'm sorry. Czech Republic, Chile, Puerto Rico, (laughs) Singapore, China, Romania, Norway, Israel, Djibouti, the Netherlands, Brazil, Malaysia, Turkey, Poland, India, Korea, Latvia, the Ukraine, Hong Kong, Switzerland, Bahrain, Uruguay, Bulgaria, Kuwait. Now your turn. Okay. The U.S. Virgin Islands, Belgium, Portugal, South Africa, Serbia, Kazakhstan. Micronesia, wow. Ooh, Micronesia. <laughs> Iraq, Fiji, Hungary. Okay. Cool. This week, 
folks all over the world are listening <laughs> to this show, which seems to have no point, this show. <laughs> but it has a point. The human person is made in the image and likeness of God and has an incomparable dignity, beauty, and worth that we should stand in solidarity with the vulnerable, protect them from violence. And when we're vulnerable, we should graciously um, work with those who want to work with us. Because when you're vulnerable, it's not like the like in China right now. I shouldn't say in China. In East Turkestan, occupied East Turkestan by China, the Uyghur are not weak. They're very strong. They're placed in an impossible circumstance, suffering horrible violence, persecution, and ethnic cleansing. When we stand in solidarity with the vulnerable, they're no longer vulnerable. Beautiful. And that's our mission. So go to our website also, thegreatcampaign.org, and be a part of the Vulnerable People Project. Now promote your stuff. Uh, Go to any social media. I don't have a website because I'm not as cool as Jason, but my at is at left the left show, L-E-F-T-T-H-E-L-E-T, show, S-H-O-W. Find me and we'll talk more politics there. You're cooler, you're cooler than me. <laughs> you're cooler right. than me. Okay, let's say goodbye. Thanks, guys. Aloha. And, wow. An hour and nine minutes. This was shorter than the State of the Union. <laughs>